It's the Pilot Wife Mailbag Show, answers to your questions. And the questions are flooding in and I couldn't be more thrilled since the show just launched. So today we're gonna cover alcohol, at home and on the road, commuting versus living in base, is there a Facebook group, getting them to pack food, why are they so cranky before and after a trip, And yes, because it was such a hot topic from all angles, I have more insight to share on the cheating pilot syndrome. Is it more myth than reality? Welcome to the Pilot Wife Podcast, your ongoing checklist for navigating your best life as a pilot wife and aviation family. I'm your co-captain, Jackie Elmer. I've been a pilot wife for over three decades and can't imagine any other lifestyle. On the show, You'll hear stories, experiences, tips, advice, interviews with other pilot wives, pilots, aviation professionals, non-revving and travel experts also on this journey. Yes, it's a mixed bag of goods, but what life isn't? I'm here to bring you the best that the aviation life has to offer. If you have a topic suggestion, a story to share on the show, details are at the end. And if you want the Pilot Wife Survival Guide and Checklist, go to pilotwifechecklist.com. Now, stow your baggage, strap in, and let's unpack the Pilot Wife life. Welcome back to my aviation adventure show and Pilot Wife podcast. So as I mentioned, we are gonna cover some hot topics and these are the questions that have come in from many of you. So I'm gonna hop right into the information, okay, or the questions. The first question is alcohol at home and on the road. Well, here's the thing, I'm not gonna get into the regulations of flying and alcohol. Every pilot knows what those regulations are. And I'm not a pilot and I don't even play one on TV or the internet. But hey, I saw the movie Flight with Denzel Washington, so I know what goes on. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, I did see the movie. I'm a huge Denzel fan. But all that to say, here's the thing. I'm a drinker more socially than regularly, although that's kind of a new thing. And I'm going to do an entire show on this, but let's talk about this at hand right now. In the last few years, I've become aware of the extreme marketing and socialization of alcohol. I've personally used it in the past to buffer feeling emotions, dealing with anxiety, coping with tough times, and not to the point of per se having a problem. I always like to say I have a problem with my habit, not with alcohol itself, which some people will hear that and say, that's a problem. I'm mostly joking, but you know, hey, it is what it is. Let's face it, in the broader range of things, alcohol is very socially acceptable Acceptable in large part expected, and it plays a big role in the aviation community. Not while at work, hopefully, but it's part of it. Now, looking back, as I said, I realized that my own use of alcohol to buffer and try to solve problems did nothing except maybe make me more anxious, but it did nothing to solve the problem. And as I said, I'm planning a complete show on this, so stay tuned. Now I do over the, this will be my third year to participate in dry January. So join me, I think it's called dry Uary, but I just call it dry January. If you wanna join me, reach out. And there's some great reads on this. 
This Naked Mind and the Alcohol Experiment by Annie Grace does a great job of sharing a lot of statistics. It's an alarming book in a lot of ways, both of them. There's two um, alarming in that she had a definite problem. I mean, two bottles of wine a night regularly and even more. And that's nowhere near. I mean, I feel guilty sometimes with two glasses of wine, mostly because I think it's mindless drinking. Why am I doing this? Anyway, um, I think women and specifically moms are overly targeted with alcohol marketing. It can be a slippery slope for pilot wives too, home alone, dealing with the chaos, kids, making decisions, feeling lonely. And let's face it, the marketing is slick. I mean, you've all seen it, especially during the pandemic, which without a doubt, um, alcohol in increase, alcohol usage increased dramatically. I'm not gonna get into the specifics of whether a pilot should drink or not, because again, that's not my expertise. We're all grownups and at some point we all have to deal with whatever it is that we're dealing with. And if you have a suggestion or would like to be on this show with me regarding this topic, go to ask.pilotwifepodcast.com. Complete that form in its entirety. I'll reach out to you and we'll chat about some specifics. But I would love to have a group of pilot wives and maybe even pilots join me for this conversation about alcohol and alcohol as moms, alcohol and aviation, all of it. All right, next question, commuting versus living in base. Well, I've done both and I'm gonna just share the pros and cons and there are probably more. So again, reach out to me if you have more to share. Now, living in base, it's pretty short. Um, the, the pros are obvious. It's a short drive. You don't have to add extra commuting time. There are other locals that live nearby. So especially for pilot wives, it's easier to reach out and build a community of friends and plus ones and, and other women and groups who can relate to what you are going through and your situations. So that's the obvious. Now, um, the negatives of, of staying in a specific base, for sure, um, sometimes that can delay upgrades. It can delay equipment changes. Um, but without a doubt, there's better bidding opportunities when you live in base uh, without factoring in the commute. Now, I mentioned delaying upgrades and equipment changes. That has less to do with living in the base and more to do with changing bases. So it's kind of a different topic, but it kind of got thrown into the mix too. Now, with commuting... Uh, potentially you could have advancement without relocating everyone. So let's say you do live in one base and you are grounded and your children are established, you're established in a career. It could be that the pilot chooses to change domiciles, to change his base because he's going to advance with equipment, better pay, better schedules in terms of what he can hold, um, but it changes everything. So the downside of that is, you know, for you moving, of course, is you having a career potentially starting over, starting your kids over, relocating them, depending on their age, their schools, all of that. And it absolutely adds more time away from home for the pilot and certainly more time away from home for them with the family in general. More alone time for you, um, Etc. So, you know, it was interesting back in the early days, we lived in base. And then uh, when my husband was hired by American, we were well established in Phoenix and we didn't want to move. 
And when he first got hired by American, he was based in New York for six months. I was pregnant with our first child. And it was funny. He literally hopped around that first year. He was New York, then Chicago, then Dallas. And then he changed airplanes and got an L.A. bid and an L.A. base. Well, we weren't going to move yet. We just weren't sure. So we stayed in Phoenix. He commuted. And it was challenging with young kids. And he ended up flying all-nighters to hold a schedule that he could commute with really, really well. Um, But it was stressful. It was stressful on him. It was stressful on him going to work. It was stressful on him coming home because we had a new fussy baby. Um, And over time, that improved. But there's no doubt about it. We always laugh because that's when he started drinking coffee. Neither one of us were ever coffee drinkers until he started flying red eyes. And that's when he became a coffee drinker. So it's kind of funny. So you have to keep in mind with commuting, you've got more overnights. You've got to add expenses to that, tickets, buying tickets for holidays. I know the last two years we bought tickets home for Thanksgiving uh, just to ensure that he could get home. You've got advanced planning. You've got added stress onto that. When you talk about why they're cranky before they leave on a trip, we'll get to that. Potentially, you've got the expense of a crash pad. Now, we only ever had that when he was based in New York, so I can't personally share that experience other than to, to say, and we were on B scale, back when that existed, the pay sucked, to put it bluntly, and we had to add the expenses of his commute and all of that on top of it. But it's like anything. You did what you did, right? I do what I do. You have to do all that. Um, But it was definitely an added expense, so you have to factor all of that in. And for us, the Phoenix to LA commute didn't require a crash pad, but many times it required an extra stay, sometimes on both ends of the trip. If he had to, if he got a bid where he started too early in the morning to commute out and got home too late at night in LA to get all the way home. So you've got to factor all that in. And again, the body stress to them of extra time. Now, I remember when we ultimately made the decision to move from Phoenix to Southern California so he could be drivable to his base was right after 9-11. And that was a whole different time. And you might not have even been in the profession then, but right after 9-11, the whole jump seat privilege thing changed. And they were not able to jump seat in the cockpit on other airlines. They could still quote unquote jump seat, but there had to be an empty seat open in the back of the airplane for them to utilize that privilege. They could not, I don't even remember how long it lasted because We ended up moving and it wasn't a deal, but he ended up adding anywhere from, I mean, it was, it was stressful in the amount of time that he was adding to make sure that he could commute and get out to um, the LA base because back then we had America West and Southwest. American was not in the game. The two America West and US Air and South and uh, American, America West U.S. Air and American had not merged, so he was totally dependent on other airlines to get him out there. That was a very stressful time, and that's when we made the decision to relocate. Now, today, things have changed dramatically, and I know with American and probably other airlines, you can actually book ahead of time. I think it's eight days ahead of time. You can book the jump seat for the flight that you want to be on, so you can secure that ahead of time. You can book the jump seat on your own airplane to get out there. But even that's stressful, making sure that you're the one that gets that jump seat booked, especially like the Phoenix LA commute is very popular, very popular. Um, 
Phoenix is a base for American, LA is a base for American, so it's very popular. And we'll cover this more in depth on a future show. I would love to involve some pilots in that discussion on the whole commuting and their their thoughts around that so that they can share that with the pilot wife community just to educate all of us further. All right, next question. Is there a Facebook group for the Pilot Wife podcast? No, there is not one currently. And my question for you is, do you want one? There are a lot of Pilot Wife groups out there. Some are company specific, some are very generic. There are military based ones, all of that. And some of them can get pretty snarky, let's face it. And you probably know what I mean if you've been in those, not all of them. And again, I always take a lot of that with a grain of salt because the challenge with the written word is the only person who ever gets to put context into it is the person reading it. So we can read something and perceive that somebody is expressing themselves with emotion in a way that they're not, but that's a whole nother conversation. So I am pondering starting a Facebook group and taking on the task of the admin duties is what I'm pondering more than anything. Do I wanna do that? Do I have the bandwidth for it? And is there really a demand for it? So. Or, or a desire for it, I should say. There's certainly no demand for it, but is there a desire for it? So I welcome your thoughts. All right, next conversation, getting them to pack food. And I, I like to put air quotes around getting. That's a phrase that I don't like. How do I get someone to do something? In other words, how do I get someone to do what I want them to do, especially if they're resisting doing it? And I don't know about you, but I don't like it when anybody's trying to get me to do something they want me to do. This is a tough one. And here's the thing really and truly, I'm just gonna do some tough love here. I'm not gonna mommy my husband. I'm just not. I don't wanna mommy my husband. He's a capable man. He's a capable pilot, as he always likes to say. I fly thousands of people, thousands of miles. And it's kind of a joke in our house when I'm not treating him with the utmost respect and treating him like the PIC, right? The pilot in command. But I really do think about that. He's a capable man. He knows how to make decisions for himself. And he's just not a fan of the hassle of packing food. And I'm not going to fight with him over that. I am not going to fight with him over food. There's a lot more to fight about. (laughs) I say that jokingly, but really and truly. His whole thing is keeping it cold, getting it hot, keeping it hot, managing it, a whole nother bag, you know, special stuff. It's just not his thing. It might be your husband's. That's great. It's not his. I've been able to make and get him to pack protein muffins, nuts, oatmeal, and power bars. And I just used the word getting. Did you catch that? It's not even getting. I've made those things available and he's been open to that and willing, um, but, and maybe protein powder, but that's it. And other than the muffins and the power bars, the rest of it was on an occasional basis. Now I'm the complete opposite. I pack everything and I have for years because I'm very fanatical about my diet. Um, And by diet, I mean my food regimen. I'm really picky. I love to eat organic. I don't like processed foods. I've got a lot of pickiness. So for years I've made all my own stuff and taking it with me when I've traveled. My daughter and I have traveled around the world and it's kind of funny because we always laugh at my snack bag. It just is what it is, my friends know. And after the pandemic hit, I started really packing gourmet foods. And I'm gonna do a whole other show on um, tips for 
backpacking organization, traveling with that type stuff. And you'll probably hear Jill Mongine, who's going to be on the next show with Aviation Nutrition and Fitness that we're doing together. But I do welcome any uh, suggestions on this. Yes, I know a lot of it. I'm always concerned about my own health, my pilot's health, and staying healthy, keeping that medical, but also functionality and longevity as we age. And then one of the questions that came up around that was the money that they spend. And I'm going to say this, and I've said this before. They get a per diem. That's their money, in my opinion. It's I place a huge value on food. So does my husband. It's a it's a big uh, it's in the top category of how we spend money, really and truly. We eat really well and make healthy choices. So I'm never going to look at what he spends on his food consumption out on a trip. Again, this is me, my personal thoughts, my personal opinions, my personal experience. I'm not telling you what to do, maybe just giving you a way to think about that. But definitely think about that word, getting them to, because it's a triggering word for a lot of people. All right, next up, why are they so cranky before and after a trip? I love this question, because I can totally relate. Well, there's a lot that goes into it. And let's face it, Pilots tend to compartmentalize. They're kind of taught to do that. They have to do that. They have a job that can be fabulous most of the time, right? It's beautiful. They love being up there. It's an amazing profession. It's an amazing job. There's nothing, well, I'm not going to say nothing, but if you've never been in the cockpit flying, it is awesome. You look out there and it's like magical. It is so magical. And I can understand the draw for that. So that part of it's great. But they also have to compartmentalize because it's like anything. When there's an emergency, when there's chaos, when there's weather, when something goes out on the airplane, when all that stuff happens, they have to be able to react quickly, effectively. And so they compartmentalize. And so there is a tendency with some, not all, to begin to withdraw before a trip. Maybe it's the commute, if they're commuting, it's planning ahead. Maybe they've looked ahead and they know that there's weather coming. Just all kinds of stuff that I'm not even gonna try again to Monday morning quarterback because I'm not a pilot. Uh, so I'm not gonna try to pretend to know all of that. But there is a Navy quote out there that's kind of funny, um, and it's probably a military quote in general, but the Navy quote is, if we felt like he needed a wife, we would have issued him one. And so that's kind of their thing with it. You are in a box. This is, again, a military quote, and I'm not saying across the board this is for everyone, but this is some of what's been shared. They compartmentalize their boxes of how they deal with certain things like that. So again, a big part of that is just communication. I talk a lot about the Enneagram. There's an upcoming episode. If you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's E N N. E-A-G-R-A-M. Now, I don't recommend you take one of those tests out online, and I don't want to deviate, but I've got an upcoming episode where I've interviewed um, a coach and expert on the Enneagram. We talk about the different personality types. My husband is a five, which means he's a deep thinker, analytical, in his head. And my question to her was, I'd love to know how many pilots are a five. Um, And so I know for him, all of those things factored in. He begins to go into deep thinking mode. Is he commuting? Yes, he commuted much of his career. Is there weather? Um, And what I learned to do is stop taking it personally. I asked myself, 
have I done anything wrong? Have I done anything to create this withdrawal from me or the kids or the family? And most of the time, the answer is no. So this is how I learned to deal with it. I asked myself, why am I letting my own ego creep in to think it's about me? Now think about that. Why would I take on that I have something to do with it? That's kind of egotistical. And I mean that in the nicest way, but really when you think about it, if I know I haven't done anything wrong or anything any differently, why am I going to take this on? Believe me, it released me from so much stress and anxiety and trying to chase him into his man cave. Um, And I've done a lot of work on this. This is where communication is so important. Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, it's kind of... I got to be honest, it's kind of a dry, boring book. I tried to pick it up and read it again a few months ago, but there are a few things from that book of the habits that stood out for me. And probably the most important one is seek first to understand, then to be understood. So I just learned to ask, is everything okay? You kind of seem withdrawn or quiet. Are you thinking about the trip ahead or is anything else going on? And most of the time he would be like, no, 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 it's not, you know, and still kind of a little bit cranky, but that was just his way. And again, I'm not going to get him to do anything that's any different. I can't, that's out of my control. And when I released thinking that I could, it changed everything. So I just learned to stop taking that personally. Now, the question came up with that. How do you deal with that with kids? Well, here's how I dealt with it. I learned to communicate very openly with my kids. And I would just take them aside and say, hey, how are you feeling? You feeling okay? And if they said, well, dad seems this, or he was grouchy with me or whatever, I would just say, hey, listen, this is how dad is. And it's not you. It's not anything you've done. He gets stressed and this is how he deals with it. It's not how I would deal with it. And it's not how I recommend that you deal with it now or in the future either but that's his way. That's just his way. He doesn't like leaving you. He feels stressed leaving the family behind and all the different things that are going on potentially with his job, even though he loves his job. So tell me, how do you feel about this? It's so important to talk with kids and get them openly expressing their feelings and knowing that it's a safe space to talk about their feelings and you're not going to try to fix their feelings tell them that they're wrong for their feelings or any of that. Just ask for their feelings and get them communicating and then help them navigate how they deal with those feelings. This is a big part of what I do as a coach because I know we're taught as little kids to never confront our feelings. How many times were you told as a kid, don't feel bad? Don't feel bad, right? But feelings are feelings. And if we'll just take the time which is typically about 90 seconds, to feel a feeling and deal with it, it moves on. Now, my daughter has a funny story when she was, I can't remember, I think she, well, I do remember, she was in seventh grade. She had just started middle school and she had to go get her um, PE clothes. And I was gone on a business trip and my husband was home and it was kind of what, he had to take her down I say down, we lived up in Lake Arrowhead. So he had to drive 40 minutes off the mountain to go find Target anything and specifically what she needed for these PE clothes. And I can remember being on the phone with her later that day. And she said, and we still joke about this because my husband knows and we laugh all the time. But she said, I am never going shopping with that man again. And she went in to tell me how frustrating it was because he was like, you know, let's get it done. Come on. What do you need? 
taking a little seventh grade girl who at that time loved to shop and loved clothes, trying to get her in and out was just craziness. But it's still, it's a joke that we have today. And she'll laugh and look at him and say, I'm not going shopping with you, that man ever again. And she's 26 now. But that was it. And one thing I learned to do, I just laughed and said, I know, I don't like to take him shopping either. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I learned not to make him wrong, not to trash talk him at all for how he was to my children, but not to downplay their thoughts and emotions either. I really tried to make it light, bring humor into it, and do the best that we could. All right. So again, I welcome any comments that you might have or experiences you have to share on that. Okay, last topic. And yes, as I said, because it was such a hot topic, we're going to get back into the uh cheating pilot syndrome. Well, it was a Pandora's box and most of it was good. I can't tell you how many people I heard from. And I have to tell you, um, I think it was the day the show launched. I went to bed that night and I felt a little sick to my stomach because the last thing I want to do is create drama, controversy, or, you know, trigger anyone in any way. But it was the most requested topic and I felt like it needed to be dealt with. As a woman, having dealt with a lot of different issues and and conversations I've had with women, experiences with women over the last 40 years of my life as an adult, um, and I'm in my 50s, so that's why I say that, we have to be able to have these conversations. It's just a reality, and hiding it or pushing it away is not a healthy thing. But I was asked a lot of things, and, and it, it, it generated a lot of discussion. One thing I was asked was what scientific evidence I have. Now, keep in mind, that show was part one, and it's episode seven, if you want to go back and watch it, or listen to it. Um, It's episode seven. And um, I very clearly stated from the beginning that this was simply my experience and my perspective on this. So I don't have any scientific evidence, nor do I want to. When I hear believe the science, I always think that statement is crazy because science in its purest form always changes. It really does. And who's telling the truth? Who's not? Who's skewing the truth? Here's the stats of the little bit of scientific research that I did just about infidelity in general. 30 to 60% of married couples will cheat at least once in the marriage. Now, keep in mind, when I say science, I'm going to give you a number of different statistics and you tell me if the science doesn't change because these are all just based on a very basic Google search, several different sites. So 30 to 60% of married couples will cheat at least once in the marriage. 74% of men and 68% of women admit they'd cheat if it was guaranteed they'd never get caught. 60% of affairs start with close friends or coworkers and an average affair lasts two years. That's one site. Next site. As it stands, men tend to cheat more than women. According to information collected by the 2018 General Social Survey, 20% of married men and 13% of married women have slept with someone other than their partner. So, you know, that 20% and 13% doesn't really mesh with the 30 to 60% of the last website that said couples will cheat. Now, um, here's the final one. Over 90% of Americans consider infidelity as immoral. 90% consider it immoral, but allegedly 30 to 60%
will cheat at least once in the marriage. 30 to 40% cheat on their partners. Again, that kind of matches that, but not exactly, because one says 60% and one says 40. And less than 3% of American adults believe it is not wrong to engage in extramarital sex. So again, the first episode, number seven, where I talk about this, part one, I clearly state that I'm stating my opinion, nothing more. Another thing that was pointed out to me is that I said, how do affair proof your marriage? And I'm told it's impossible. Okay, I get that. You can't 100% know that you can affair proof your marriage. 100% it will work in some cases and not all. I own that. Success takes work and relationships are no different. In fact, relationships take more work than any other type of success. So the key is decide what you want, decide what you're committed to, decide on the work that you're willing to do to maintain a good relationship and learn to communicate often and effectively. And this is coming up in other shows. I like to say there are three perspectives and three realities or three truths, right? Yours, theirs, and somewhere in the middle, that's the common ground. I mean, I look back on my own flaws and I shared this in that episode. Age truly does bring wisdom. I can look back and see my blind spots from years gone by so clearly now, so clearly. I've shared this before, but I still remember saying, oh, it must be nice being you. You know, you leave and you go stay at nice fancy hotels and you have room service and you channel surf and you go to the gym when you want, blah, blah, blah. Wow. I look back and I think how egotistical that was. I wasn't factoring in all the other stuff that I know goes on. Crappy food, crappy hotels, all-nighters, mechanical and weather delays, misconnects, crappy passengers, cranky passengers, throwing passengers off airplanes sometimes. And now with duct taping people to their seats and all the stuff that's going on, it's even crazier. Here's the thing. When I said that, what I realized now looking back is that was a cry that was saying, what about me? Okay. We are ego-centered by nature. We're wired for survival of self. What we have to learn to do is control our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions to create the results that we want. Now, the Facebook groups had a lot to share, and I had fabulous conversations with two attorneys, female attorneys, both pilot wife attorneys, um, and their opinions, which I'll be sharing more of, actual phone conversations where they reached out to me. Um, I've got two therapist counselors, including a porn addiction specialist expert for the show and her husband. Um, And many women came forward with their stories. Some stayed in the marriage, others did not. And I'll be sharing all of that on future shows. So I'm just gonna share with you some of the thoughts and opinions that were shared. These are not mine. I'm not making, these are actual opinions that were shared. Opinion one, there are opportunities in every profession. Marriages go through many seasons and some seasons are more difficult than others. It's how you get through those seasons together. I always try to think about my husband and put his needs into the perspective. It's all about showing our spouses that we not only love them, but that we like and respect them too. If any person doesn't feel loved, liked, or respective, it's just opening the door for them to seek it elsewhere. Good, solid advice, pilot or non-pilot. That last sentence was mine. Next opinion. 
I guess my thinking is I've never once in my life been attracted to a pilot because they're a pilot. I've never sat and thought, oh, I want to get myself a pilot. I've been on many, many flights and seen tons of pilots, and I never really had the desire or even thought about hitting on one. So I don't get why it's such a popular thing that pilots cheat. Who are these women that are hitting on pilots? We know a pilot who's cheated many times with flight attendants. He's now divorced and remarried, but I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw him. It's kind of funny because his wife now is also a pilot. Next opinion. We never talk about pilots getting cheated on by their wives or husbands at home. This happened to my pilot. His ex-wife was cheating while he was working. I've heard of multiple pilots this has happened to. This is the one thing we as a couple have bonded over, being cheated on. My ex-husband, I won't name his profession, but he, he was just in a normal profession. Not that pilot isn't normal, but he cheated on me in our hometown. He didn't travel at all. A cheater is going to cheat no matter the profession. The opportunity is still there, just in different ways, because at home, you see the same people all the time and make friends. As a pilot, you're with different crews and in different cities where you don't know anyone. So I would think it actually takes a little more effort in a short amount of time to even find someone to cheat with. I know it can definitely happen. I just don't think it's as easy as we're all imagining that it is. My ex and I were together 15 years, high school sweethearts, four kids. I never thought he would and I was wrong. I trust my pilot though because he's never given me any reason not to. My opinion here, I love that. Don't distrust them till they give you a reason not to. All right, um, there were lots of uh, comments about the medical profession and cops cheating too. Next opinion. I've been a nurse 12 years and trust me, medical staff do it too. Long hours together, same people day in and day out. Night shift was the worst. Next opinion. I think wives should be concerned about their husbands cheating with flight attendants. It happens. I know this to be a fact. Opportunity, free travel, layovers, dinners and outings with the crew, usually in a bar. They can also manipulate their schedules to coincide with the flight attendants. Plus, pilots make a lot of money, and that is attractive to a flight attendant. I can't give names, but I wanted to weigh in on this debate. My opinion. Not all pilots make a lot of money, so keep that in mind. And if they get divorced with kids and stuff, they don't make nearly as much money. Again, those are my opinions and my comments. Trying to keep it light here. All right, next opinion. I don't believe it's a pilot thing, but as a businesswoman, I can say that many men travel for work and they can act quite inappropriately. I've known a few good guys who stay clear of trouble, but many have gone out when they travel with jokes made regarding such a thing. I knew all their wives, although not well. Either way, I think any job that travels has a higher likelihood of bad choices due to a multitude of factors. However, the character of the person is the ultimate factor. Sadly, however, I've seen many women think their husbands are good men, and indeed, they are not. Phew! Okay, so that's what I have to share on that for this show. And that's it for today's Q&A mailbag. If you have something to share, here come the details on how to do that. If you like what you're hearing on the show, grab the Pilot Wife Checklist at pilotwifechecklist.com and if you have a topic suggestion or a story to share on the show, go to ask.pilotwifepodcast.com. Share the show with any pilot wives, military wives, or anyone in aviation you know who might share and benefit from this similar experience. I'll see you on the journey. <laughs>